0: Hey, this is Iso, and welcome to another episode of How We Work, the podcast where I explore all kinds of questions about work and life and what's going on. Today, we have a subject that is near and dear to my heart. We talk about artificial intelligence. I have personally gotten very obsessed with ChatGPT and Llama and all these um, generative AI models that are popping up i've very quickly become dependent on them honestly like for my work and my writing i will write a piece of creative work an essay of some sort about some subject i think is interesting feed it into chat gpt and just ask for feedback or maybe sometimes i'll write an email and feed it into there and ask it to clean it up and make it more readable. We use it for a lot of things with work. It's really, really quickly become a really integral part of the workflow. And I'm just really fascinated by the questions of how people are using it now, but how we're going to use it in the future how this is gonna change my work, everyone's work, the creative process generally. Um, There's a lot of fear there obviously around people losing their jobs, but a lot of excitement around how it's gonna change people's jobs. I just think that there's so many open questions right now and I think it's just fascinating to explore them. And today I have an interview with a really good friend of mine, my oldest friend actually, Eli Friedman. I met him in seventh grade at U32. I was just a little whippersnapper. And he's now a professor at Cornell focused on sociology and Asian studies. And I wanted to interview him to just get his take on how he's thinking about it, because I think that people like him are going to set a lot of the guidelines in a way of the way we think about these technologies, about the way they're used in education, about the way they're used in the workplace. And I just really was fascinated to hear how he's thinking about it in his classroom. He's very forward that he is not the number one expert on this subject. He's not thought a ton about it. But that's actually why I wanted to interview him. I don't want someone who's going to kind of pontificate on what the right or wrong answer is because there is no right or wrong answer at this point it's only ideas people have and i just really wanted to hear how he's thinking about it like what is a positive application of using chat gpt for a student versus what is plagiarism i think what's really interesting about this moment and we talk a lot about this in the episode is this the spectrum right you can ask it just to correct your punctuation you can ask it just to give you feedback you can ask it to clean up the writing you can ask it to write an entire essay on its own so it's not whether or not people will use these tools in education but how they'll use these tools and I think again someone in Eli's position is one of the people who's really deciding this stuff so it's an exciting time an exciting conversation we have a really great conversation that goes all over the place all of these questions questions of education, but also how it's used in the creative process, how it can be used as a tool to help our creative process or how maybe it's doing their creativity for us, you know, and like what those lines are. And I don't think we know what those lines are yet, which I think is what's so exciting about it. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope it makes you start questioning yourself. And if this episode brings up any new ideas or new questions for you or new things that you think I should be thinking about, I would love to hear it. So send me an email, iso at howwe.work. And I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. So Eli, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. So in the introduction, I'll talk about who you are and everything, but can you just say in your own words who you are, what you do? Sure.
1: I work at Cornell University in the Department of Global Labor and Work. I got my PhD in sociology from UC Berkeley in 2011. And for the past 20 or so years, I've been studying labor issues in China, uh, in Hong Kong, in Taiwan. I've also done research on urbanization and and various other issues. And uh, aside from my research, I'm also uh, an instructor. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that today.
0: So what I really want to talk to you about today is AI and how it's being used in education. I think that is something people think a lot about. So some people are scared of it. Some people are excited about it. But I think generally, everyone's just really figuring it out. And I thought it would be really fascinating to talk to someone who was right now teaching college students, kind of setting them setting them, them up for the future at a place like Cornell with this new tool that is existing. And it seems like there is a lot of fear around it. Again, there's a lot of excitement. But I think that what I really would love to do is just focus on the actual like nuts and bolts of how you see it being used, like in your classrooms, what you would be okay with, what you're not okay with. Um, and I think a really cool place to start actually is the essay I sent you. Um, yeah. And so for people listening, I've, I've gotten really super into playing around with AI tools so there's a lot of different tools you can use. One of them is GPT, which you just use through a browser. So it's something you can chat with through a browser if you haven't used it. And then there's other models you can use where you actually download it on your computer and you can teach it things on your computer. You can train it on specific subjects. And I did this experiment where I actually opened two instances of this AI on my computer. So two separate programs running and I had one write a short essay on a subject that Eli teaches on. And then I had the second one be Eli the professor giving feedback. And so what it did is it the one wrote a 500-word essay, saved it in a text document. The other version left feedback. And then the first version took that feedback and rewrote it. Um, and then I just looped it. So it was essay feedback, essay feedback. And it's just a really interesting idea of, of what this technology can do. And I just wanted to see, yeah, what what Eli thought about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you send me that video, it completely blew my mind. Maybe just a little bit of background. So for a number of years, I and other faculty have been hearing about AI and, you know, AI is coming and it's gonna revolutionize everything. And I think I, like many people, just kind of like, yeah, okay, um, we'll, we'll see. That's at some indeterminate point in the future. And then last semester uh, when ChatGPT rolled out, it was a bit of a bolt from the blue. And I think most faculty, um, their initial reaction to it was defensive and was really on the the fear side of things. Um, as, as you just mentioned, like, okay, here's a tool that students are going to use uh, for plagiarism and we have to figure out a way to defend against it. So that's Kind of been the mindset it is it has evolved, and we, we can talk, I think about how I and others have have evolved just in the last couple of months in terms of thinking about it. Um, but it had never occurred to me that it would also potentially be a tool for you know for faculty to just essentially cheat right and then like mm. okay, yeah, I don't have to read these essays anymore I'll just I'll just feed it into the machine like give my students feedback uh, and then it like raises this whole question of just like a completely autonomous, automated process of writing papers and providing feedback for <laughs> people people are never involved in. And it's kind of like, okay, what what are we even doing here? So, and I guess I had heard of uh, about how you can use uh, generative AI to refine essays. So, like you write an essay and like it's not very good and you can ask it some questions and, and push it to improve. But like that particular way of kind of looping them back and forth had really not occurred to me. Um, so yeah, just it, it raised... New questions for me, it's, and just in the like two days since I saw it, I've you know definitely given it some more thought. So um, yeah, lo- lots to dig into there.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> it's it's really it's an insane and exciting thing just to watch. Yeah, right. Like would, I I just sat there and watched it talking to itself. You know, I watched these like two not consciousnesses, maybe although that's like a deeper subject. These two beings interacting with each other. These two machines interacting with each other. And really refining something that, like you said, like wasn't the best essay you've ever written, but it was passable. And then the feedback was not as good as the feedback you would have given, but was passable, right? Um, yeah. There's a lot of different ways to see the fact that that thing exists, right? One is fear-based, like you're saying. Like, Are students just going to not write their own essays anymore? Or are professors not going to give their own feedback anymore but also like i think it's really interesting just to think of it as a tool right so so how yeah like how how could you see a student using it as a tool on their own because they could like refine their own pieces like make it better before it gets to you like would you be okay with that if someone used it in that way
1: yeah well i've been thinking about it, but it's kind of been in the abstract for a while. And so after you sent me that video, I was motivated to just talk to my students about it. Um, and, uh, so I, I just talked to them yesterday and I was, I was really upfront about it. I was like, you guys may know, uh, that this thing has happened, uh, that the university and faculty are all thinking about it and we have no idea what to do. So I was like, what do you guys think? Like, what, what kinds of rules should be in place for, for how you, you can or, or should use AI, uh, in, particularly in writing papers? There's a whole other category of assignments that for, for which it's irrelevant. You know, you can give people an in-class exam with, with paper and pencil, you know, um, the old-fashioned way. And, and so it's not an issue there. But writing essays is an important part uh, of being a college student in the social science and, and humanities. Um, And I was really impressed and I guess a little bit surprised with students' response. They were, they were not defensive at all. And the vibe I got from them was that actually none of them are really trying to just uh, go to ChatGPT and be like, write my essay for me. And then they print it out and turn it in and and call it a day. Um, they had pretty thoughtful responses to it. So one thing that a student said, he is a non-native English speaker and he was like, well, I've been using tools like Grammarly and other things to help refine my writing. And I was kind of like, yeah, that seems like a perfectly legitimate use uh, of these kinds of tools. I mean, we've had spell checks since like the 90s, you know, and um, probably people aren't as good at spelling now than they were uh, a generation or two ago, Um, but like society has persisted, (laughs) like we're still doing okay. Um, And so, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, Another thing that students, were talking about was using it to help them outline their paper or to organize their thoughts, mm-hmm. um, which I also thought was really useful. You know, the thing that I was emphasizing to them is that in the things that I've seen anyway, it can produce a paper, and this was true in the example that you sent me, that's like, um, you know, reasonably well organized. Uh, the prose is intelligible. There are like paragraphs and things like that that sometimes undergrads are not that good uh, at doing, but that it doesn't have any original ideas right it's kind of like a an average or not even that good wikipedia article in terms mm. of providing information it's just kind of like it's okay like you know the things that it says are like um usually true although not always there there are factual errors and that is something that actually students were quite aware of but so like, thinking it through i was kind of like okay so if you go through some process some creative process right which is the thing that hopefully humans you know still have some kind of comparative advantage in in creating knowledge that Hasn't already been created, and you come up with some sort of idea, but you're not really sure how to how to organize some of the the ideas or or like refine like the specific kinds of questions that follow from from some sort of general issue that you want to investigate. Uh, that it could actually be really useful for that. That was useful to me. Um, and again, like the, the the bottom line from the conversation was, they were all. I think pretty aware of the limitations um, of the tool um, as well as, you know, some of the the ways that they might actually be able to use it. So I came away from that feeling like very kind of reassured about the whole thing that like the enterprise of having students come up with questions and going out and and doing some of their own research um, and then presenting it like that will continue. Um, And I think that we'll have to continue to think about ways that they can use it um, effectively to like more clearly and coherently express ideas that fundamentally are their own ideas.
0: I was excited when you said you were going to talk to your students about the essay, because it is, yeah, it feels like a really kind of like interesting avenue into the conversation. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, that's the way I've been thinking about it too, in the way your students are thinking about it. I'm not using it to create the work that I present to the world, at least not work that feels important to me, that it's like some, something that feels uniquely me. I don't, have chat GPT do that although there is an example I want to talk to you about where it kind of did um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah to like outline things tell me organize thoughts it almost feels like when the internet was invented and this is something Mm -hmm. we were talking a little bit about but like I remember when the internet was invented and we were in school and teachers would say doing research on the internet is cheating Right. Yeah. You know, which obviously we don't feel now, but it was a fear based reaction where they're like, no, don't use this tool at all because there was this other way that we were doing this before. And that needs to be the only way that, like, because it's easier, it's somehow not right. You know, <laughs> we did it when we were kids. Yeah, we exactly. had to go to the library. I had to go to the library and search through the books. The book was never there. You know, <laughs> like, how dare you? Um, For sure. So after having that conversation, what are your feelings on the policies that you would communicate to your student? Like, do you feel like this is the type of thing that you have to set rules for them and say, okay, this is exactly how I can use it. This is how you can't use it. Or do you feel like it's something you are kind of going to leave to the students to figure out for themselves?
1: I don't think I'm ready yet to like very clearly and specifically articulate uh, a set of rules in part because I still don't still just kind of wrapping my mind around it and and don't fully understand what it can and can't do so i think at least for for this semester uh i'm going to have some kind of general statement um referencing long established principles around plagiarism right which is to say that the ideas that you present have to be yours and if you're going to reference other ideas which is not only okay but necessary to to write a paper that you have to cite it Um, and actually an interesting question that one of the students had that I did, did not really have a good answer for was like, can we use ChatGPT and just cite it? And I was kind of mm. like, um, yeah, like my initial reaction was like, yeah, why not? Um, it's a source, but um, but you also have to think carefully about what kind of a source it is. And there's all kinds of questions still with its reliability in it providing um, information that's not accurate. It, it provides um, sometimes links to, to journal articles or something that don't exist. So, you know, there, there, are, there are some issues uh, with that. But I think the basic thing is, is to convey to students that what we're doing is we're teaching critical thinking skills. We want to teach them to think originally, come up with their own um, questions and their own responses to those questions uh, that can draw from lots of sources, and that this tool might be useful in uh in locating certain kinds of information i can't really go all that deep on a lot of topics that still i think requires other kinds of research um but it can alert you to some kinds of issues that you might not have known about and then you can do more research elsewhere and so conveying that you know those kinds of things are fine um as long as the final product is is really yours so that's kind of what i'm thinking right now the university has just come up with some sort of guidelines, um, about how we should respond to this question. And, uh, to be honest, I haven't read it yet. I should probably do my homework, but I think like for, for this semester, I'm not going to take like a hard, you know, policing standpoint on it and kind of see how it goes. If I have some sense that the quality of the papers is somehow remarkably different from, um, from years past and whether, or how AI has, has influenced that. Um, Another thing that I've been thinking about is trying to talk to students about their papers. I think that that will be, it it can be used as a form of policing, which is not really what I'm after. I do want people to do the work, but it's, it it is also a way just to have a more deeper form of engagement with people and, and trying to understand what motivated them to ask the questions, like how they came to this set of questions and this set of arguments. I mean, there are some limitations to that as well. It's a class with about 60 people so it's not like i can't have like a super in-depth conversation with everyone but but that's another possibility as well yeah so all this to say it's like it's a work in progress and i think we're just gonna have to see uh in the next like you know year or two uh kind of what shakes out mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's a very exciting time i read this statistic the other day that only 13 percent of the american population have used chat gpt And to me, it's (laughs) like, it feels like this is the thing that's happening right now. Like, And maybe, you know, I'm like a little biased because I'm really, really paying attention to it. But just the way, like, I've already become so dependent on it for my work. And so both for my like work work, but also my creative work, like I will write an essay or some piece of writing and then I'll feed it into GPT and just ask it what it thinks. Say, hey, yeah. I'm writing this. Like, what do you think of it? And it gives amazing feedback. Hey, like, hey. it's like really, re- like, honestly, like really, really insightful feedback. Yeah. Um, And I think that that can be, I mean, so obviously there's the kind of fear-based response, which is not unreasonable, that people are just going to straight up ask it to write a paper for them and turn it in. Which, honestly, and maybe this is just because I'm not in college right now, but like, dude, you're paying a lot. To go to Cornell. <laughs> right. like, <you> know, like, <laughs> like if you're just gonna have GPT write your papers, like just do something else with the money. You know? yeah. Like you could yeah, you could do sure. a lot with that money if you're yeah. if you're not learning anything. So maybe there's like maybe like the data set is a little biased there of a group of, of kids who like really do want to learn. But I think just using it as a tool to help them refine their ideas after they've written, like I almost feel like like would you ever assign them to use it as a tool in some way. Because I almost feel like the papers you would get back would be much better, not because they're cheating or it's writing it for them, but just because the because they're able to go through like several iterations of feedback before it gets to you. Like, have you thought about it in that way?
1: I think I'm still learning what it can and can't do. And so we'll need to have a little bit more familiarity for myself before I'm ready to to fully jump into that. I also think that for this particular class, it's maybe not the most relevant. So I'm teaching, I'm co-teaching in class with a colleague of mine, which is on China and India. And it's kind of more like content focused um, where we're learning things about these two countries and the process of development over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and so it's just like one big research paper at the end. I I think the thing that you were just describing um, would be super useful for some of the writing classes that I teach. Um, which I'm not doing this year, but those classes are writing intensive they're they're for um, freshmen and sophomores and the the content for those classes is a little bit less important. It's more kind of the form and helping people to understand how to write like a, a short persuasive essay or something like that, which um, you know it's is not intuitive and and a lot of people graduate high school and, and don't have a really good sense about how to do that And so I think that for those in these classes, we always do a process of, of revision, rewriting. Um, we oftentimes do peer review, and I think that we could continue doing, you know, real person peer review, but I also think that AI would be a good uh, mechanism for, you know, for getting feedback and and for being like, here's an idea I have about an argument that I want to make. Um, one thing I oftentimes have them do is like write like an op-ed piece as if they're going to, you know, send it to a newspaper. Like here's an idea that i want to write like you know what do you think about this like help me you know strengthen the argument (laughs) and i think that probably uh, an ai tool could be really useful for that and doing that kind of back and forth and allowing them to see how their own ideas can be made more coherent and and more persuasive that to me seems like a pretty good use of it um again starting from the place that like the idea is theirs and this is about helping them um, you know just make it a little bit more elegant so um So we'll see. I'm not doing um, I'm not teaching one of those classes next year either. So I still have some time. But but down the road, um, definitely would consider it.
0: Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see the super useful use case in a more creative field. But I am interested to ask why you don't think with a more research based paper. Um, well, no, it's it's actually
1: not that a more research-based paper is irrelevant. I, part of it is just the semester, like, I, I don't have time to really figure out the best way to, to do it. Mm. Um, that being said, um, what I have understood so far is that its ability to access knowledge is a little bit superficial. Now, I talked earlier about it writing essays that are kind of like Wikipedia-level quality, Mm-hmm. um or kind of like wikipedia level depth i guess uh, is a better way to Norm think about or it
0: or is it what my friend said yeah, <laughs> just yeah <kinda> totally. like, <laughs> like it's like not bad it's not really good though either yeah it's like just kind of like somewhere in the middle pretty okay totally passable yeah um like
1: like i asked it to write an essay for the class that i'm currently teaching which is on china and india and so i was kind of like what would be some good paper topics for a class that's focused on development in china and india and like it came up with like 10 different topics and they were all like you know the most common things that you would hear about um and i was like okay write something on topic eight which was on like rural to urban migration in the two places And, you know, it's about an essay and like it was fine, like its level of knowledge, like it did something that is, you know, better than probably 99% of the people that you would encounter like randomly on the street, right, who are not going around thinking about rural urban migration in China and India. Um, But it was kind of just like someone who had read, you know, like the New York Times or something for a year and was like, okay, like here are the kind of like pretty basic points about what's going on ultimately i think for a research uh, paper and this is for upper division students or right, juniors and seniors as well as some graduate students like i want to push them to go a little bit deeper right which which means um going to the library It doesn't have to be literally going to the library and going to the dusty shelves uh like in <laughs> like in yesteryear uh we we have a digital version of the library or even even using google scholar you know going and looking at some scholarly things and you know just going and and like having a little bit more depth on on some particular feature of that, you know, be it looking at some region or some, you know, if we're looking, thinking about this question of rural to urban migration, like talking about the particular like gendered consequences or, you know, how people of different religions are able to you know, to access their religious institutions or if they face discrimination once they, once they migrate or, you know, things like that, like I don't like chat anyway, doesn't seem all that good at it. And so I do want to push people to, yeah. Just to get deeper, and I still think that requires um, older older kinds of research.
0: Yeah. No, I think that totally makes sense. One, because sometimes it just is wrong. You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it thinks it's right and it's totally incorrect, which would be hard for a research paper. So so I definitely agree that it's not currently the best research tool if you really want to get deep facts on any any issue. But what about feeding in an already written paper after they've written it, after they've researched it, to get feedback on structure or even to check their facts? Like, would you recommend they do something like that just to kind of clean it up?
1: Yeah. So I, I still think I need to think a, a little bit more about whether it would be a recommendation or even a requirement. I'm not like fundamentally opposed to it. I just haven't, th- I haven't seen enough about like how it would change uh, a paper, In order to be confident that I would want to like integrate it into into the assignment, I think it's totally possible. But but certainly for the thing that you just mentioned about reorganizing the structure of the paper or something, that seems like totally totally plausible. I'm still not sure about the the fact checking. I mean, it certainly couldn't hurt. Um, I've seen some things that that you know says it's it's not very accurate, and so I don't. I'm I'm sure that that's the kind of thing that will. We'll get better with time, but yeah, but we'll have to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think for the fact checking, you would then still have to double check it. Like I could see it as a tool to be like, hey, are all these facts right? And then he points out a couple that aren't, and then you recheck those to see if it was correct in that way. The thing that I found really interesting in having it like give feedback on writing is you can kind of tell it any level you want. So if if I've written something that I feel like this is my like creative work from my heart and like, I don't want you to make it sound different. Mm. I say, hey, go through this paper, through this essay, give me feedback. Don't change any of the content. Only fix spelling and grammar mistakes, you know, fix it's and punctuation and stuff like that. Or I can say, hey, please reorganize this, but keep my voice. And then it'll change some of the writing. Or if I just say, "Hey, make this better," it basically rewrites the thing for me, right? Um, in its own voice, in honestly a much more clear way. Often, <laughs> you know, like like yeah. I I do still think that that there is some creative spark in myself that is lost when I I tell it to do that. <laughs> but like, but it can do it easily. Like if you're sending an email to somebody, that's a really good use case for it. You're like, I just want this to be clear. I don't really yeah. care what it sounds like. Yeah, so with that knowledge that you can tell at the level of feedback it gives you, like how can you see a student using it in a way that would make sense? Yeah, Obviously, it's not final answers, but I'm just
1: really really curious. It's super useful to hear that. And the thing that it made me think of is actually not my student's assignment. So the one time that I've actually used it professionally so far um, is I was recently in Taiwan and um, they asked me to give a talk, like a public talk, And they asked me to do it in, in Mandarin. And I like have not been in China or Taiwan much at all for many years. So like my spoken Mandarin has gotten much worse. And I was like, okay, like I, I'll do this, um, fine. Uh, and I'll, I'll like somehow get through it. So what I did is I wrote the talk in English and then I used, um, DeepL, which is like a a translation software to, to translate it in, into Chinese. And it like really helped a lot. I was Uh like, Oh, like that. That, that's like a much more clever like succinct way of putting it that i would be able to do it if i if i had translated it into chinese but mm-hmm. also and this is like the the thing about the voice it like used some phrases and i'm like no that's like way too highfalutin in chinese like, like uh-huh. i
0: can't pull that i can't
1: pull that off you know um yeah and so yeah, i it's to, like flowery
0: re- sometimes like it's a, like a little yeah bit of, it wants to be a little over the top generally yeah
1: It wants, it wants to be a little bit over the top. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, you have to just be attuned to like what you can pull off. And and I actually think that that is, that's an important learning thing. It it just made me think of like another example. This is from many years ago, like way pre AI being generally available, but I had a student um, plagiarize and like straight up, it was, um, they wrote the essay and like the first couple of paragraphs were like, You know, like B minus, like the prose was not very good. The paragraphs were incoherent. It was not clear where the argument was going. And then there was like two paragraphs in the middle that were like, this was written by like an eminent professor, you know, Uh it was like flowery (laughs) language Uh and referencing these like obscure things. And I was like, I like the second I started reading that I'm like, the student clearly didn't write it. And so I just like Googled it and they had cut and paste from somewhere else. But to me, the important thing there was that the student didn't have an understanding that that they couldn't pull that off you know that like mm. any like just about any reasonable reader would see this like wild disjuncture between between those various par- paragraphs and so mm-hmm.
0: um i it's do think it's almost worse that they didn't think they would be caught than they did at all no, I, I was, was really so obvious yeah
1: i've like brought this student <laughs> in and i was like hey man you clearly didn't write
0: this like, stuff come on, and you he, he
1: was like do you even know what these words mean um no, I, I did not say that. I'm, I'm nice to my yeah, students about that. No, of course, but
0: you're very, very nice. Yeah.
1: Not, not to sound like a broken record. I think I've already said this one way or another a number of times. But like the point for this, I think, should be allowing your ideas to come through more clearly in a way that like kind of sits with who you are as a person, right? So you have to be able to, you have to in somehow be able to to pull it off. I mean, to the extent that students can do that, I think I think that that is is totally great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's something I hadn't really thought about until this moment, until what you just said, but it feels like in the past, there was either plagiarism or your own work, right? Like either you cut and paste something someone else said, or you've written it yourself. And now it's almost like plagiarism is on a spectrum. Like you can tell an AI to plagiarize as mu- like to the percentage you want it to. And so instead of just having that paragraph that obviously isn't that guy's, he could kind of like push the envelope. He's like, well, if it's 50%, right? is he going to figure out, is it yeah, yeah. 60%? So yeah. like, and then, so like, where is that line between, and this is something I've personally been struggling with. Where's that line between my creation and its creation? Where's the line between me using it as a creative tool or a creative partner to, expand and improve my ideas and me leaning on it to make its own ideas and calling them my own. Like, I yeah. actually don't know what that line is.
1: No, I mean, I think it's really hard. But actually, I think that that is an old problem as well. Mm. I mean, if, if you look at academic writing, there's always a balance between the things that are your original ideas and someone else's ideas. And mm. most of the things that we do in at least in social science um, publishing is like A lot of times it's like 90% other people's ideas, maybe even 95% other people's ideas. And then you just like add a little bit of something on top of that. Um, All that being said, like there's a lot of articles out there that, that get published and this is, you know, this has been true for forever, that don't really add anything. So they might even like put a little bit of their own twist on existing arguments. But like fundamentally, they're like taking information that is out there in different places, and kind of like synthesizing it a little bit, and putting and repackaging it, and and putting it out. So I think the, and, and you know we we have certain conventions about how to distinguish your own ideas from other people's ideas around citation, but it's always a little bit fuzzy, you know. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times you can you can kind of make an argument that you're you're saying oh you know this is mine it's original and actually it's like fundamentally the same as something that someone else has has kind of argued. So I think that that basic idea about how to distinguish like what is what is yours versus what has been produced by other people it's always a little bit complicated it's particularly complicated because um, ideas are almost necessarily produced in dialogue with other people so like i i have ideas that have come out of you know and this is i think true for all academics who are being honest like we have ideas that come out of a conversation that we're having with with some of our colleagues, you know, or some of our students. And like, sometimes it just kind of like settles into your consciousness. And like, you don't even know, you don't even remember where it came from. And then you end up writing it. And But that actually, that idea came from something, you know, someone made an offhanded remark, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah. And then like, it kind of, again, it settles into your consciousness. And then it just kind of seems a little bit like your own idea. You know, in a sense, it is it is kind of an older problem that 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 is not new. I, I do think that with AI, one of the things that it does is it has the potential in a way to raise the bar, right? So there's kind of like some pretty basic stuff that you do in any kind of creative industry that now will be quite easy, right? And anyone can kind of do it. So like being able to put together like a coherent paragraph or something is like, yeah, like anyone can can really do that. And that's, you know, it's not just writing
0: paragraphs, It, it may be other things. And so, like editing a podcast, for example,
1: like editing a podcast. For like instance, I, use this, and... I use this AI. <laughs> I
0: use this AI tool to edit this podcast. Uh-huh. It makes it ninety five percent faster than it would have been before. Yeah. And I'm still, it's still my kind of creative work. I'm still crafting how it looks and what's in there. But I'm able to look at a word document and just edit that word document instead of having to edit waveforms. And so what it does, it just like raises the bar for like audio production because these yeah. tools make it so much more accessible
1: to people who don't have, you know, specific training yeah. and and it also I'm sure like reduces the amount of time that you have to spend on it. <laughs> wow.
0: um, in an amazing, yeah, in an amazing <laughs> way. Yeah. Yes. It's fun too. I love it. I love editing. Yeah, it's been a really nice.
1: You process. love editing, right? Probably I do. Yeah.
0: I do. I really love it. Yeah, and I think I love it with this tool in a way that I wouldn't love it otherwise. Like I did it before and it just, it t- it took so much time, but now, now actually it's taken away the kind of technical drudgery and all this left is the creative part. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I think and that's interesting.
1: If it was like yesteryear and you were using a tape and you had to like, like physically splice it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm like splicing tape all day. And that's what I'm doing. And the creative part is like part of it, but I'm not able to focus on it maybe as much as...
1: Yeah. I, so so I think that ideally it will be a tool in in lots of different fields that will like liberate us to to focus on other things on on like the more creative side of things. Um you know like for me as a researcher the the moments that absolutely cannot be recreated by a machine that are the kind of the most compelling for me are when I'm out doing field work, I'm doing I'm interviewing people about their lives and they say something that just like completely blows my mind and like doesn't doesn't track with the way that i understood whatever that social phenomenon is that i'm studying and they're just kind of like they say something i'm like i had no idea that that was coming right and that eventually goes into my research right i'll kind of write it up using you know using AI technology like you can't produce those kinds of new insights right it's only drawing on existing information and so to the extent that i can spend less time doing the kind of the drudgery part of the job and more time thinking about those kinds of questions and having those kinds of insights. Like, you know, I think that's that's all the better.
0: Yeah, focus on the part that is your kind of purely human specialty that you bring to any project. It's like, that's what we all want, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I want to bring up something that I've been thinking a lot about since last night that really, I think would be a really good part of this conversation. I actually wrote this little essay about it earlier today and kind of explores this idea of like where that line is of like what's create our creativity and whatnot what's mm-hmm. not so i'm starting this new project for forage sf we were calling it forage sf plus so basically it's like this online community where people can come together and organize events together and share their pictures it's kind of like closed door instagram for hardcore foragers and i'm really excited yeah. about it it's going to be a yeah. cool community and we were going to call it forage sf plus right okay which is not a bad name you know like it kind of explains what it is yeah it's like google plus it's like forage sf and this yeah. thing and i was thinking wow well, like i should come up with some other name so i was thinking the scavengers club and i was thinking, like, ah that's not a really great name and so i decided to go into gpt and set sa- i said the prompt was basically okay i'm creating this so it knows what forage sf it is already cuz it has context um so for forage sf i'm creating this new thing with forage sf plus this is what it'll do. I'm looking for a name that's not Forage SF+. I want it to be kind of, like, nostalgic and, like, reference, like, days at camp, you know, the, the, like, that kind mm-hmm. of feeling. And it mm-hmm. spit out some names, and, like, I might go with one of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. So, And for me, and so maybe for people listening, they'll be like, yeah, whatever. But like for me, actually naming things feels like one of my kind of creative specialties almost like I'm proud of I'm proud of the way I brand things like and I think that and I think the importance in branding things is how it communicates the feeling you want people to have for this project before they interact with it. So like if you want it to right. be like friendly and welcoming, like that is really all in the name and the branding and the way, you know, the way you present it. Like, I think it's really, really important. Yep. Um, and if I go with the name that this machine came up with, is it taking something that really was my kind of creative spark that I bring to these businesses that I start? Or like looking through a dictionary, is it still my decision to use this word? The thing yep. my essay was about, and the kind of struggle is like, where is this line? So, like, if I was looking in a dictionary, which I have done, looking at different words and th- like seeing what pops out, that feels like still totally my idea because right? it's old school. Because yeah. it's old school. It's in a di- well, because there's so many choices. Like, You're I right, have to right. choose one of them, right? <laughs> but when GPT gives me ten choices, it kind of doesn't feel like my idea anymore. But what if th- what if I ask them to give me ten thousand choices or a thousand choices? or, you know, or 500 choices, like at what point does the decision get small enough that it doesn't feel like my decision anymore? And, you know, yeah. I think to to kind of translate that more to your field, like, yeah, like at what point when someone's writing a paper is an idea that GPT gives them that they kind of could have gotten somewhere else or they, or they had an idea, but they asked GPT about it and GPT actually developed that idea into something that's a little bit more interesting the mm-hmm. foundation of the idea was still theirs but what they're presenting actually was came from this machine and how is that different from having an idea and then going down to the library and looking in a book on that subject and seeing something that helps you advance your idea
1: yeah yeah like or, where are the where are these lines or or like i was just saying you know talking to a friend or a colleague yeah and, exactly yeah. which is like n- normal business practice for like millennia Right. Well, it's that's like, just creativity. That's just creativity.
0: Like just creativity, like, like creativity yeah. I think, it really is like synthesizing all this information that comes into your brain and making conne- like non-obvious connections. Exactly. exactly. But if this machine is making the non-obvious connections for us, then what are we for? Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, I mean <laughs> like, I, it's like it's very confusing, you know, and it's just starting, you know, it's just starting. Well, I think it's so interesting to think about this stuff now. I don't take like a strong ethical
1: line on this that like if your the dialogue is with a machine rather than a person that it somehow doesn't count. Like ideas can come from all kinds of places and 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 I think it's okay for it to to come from AI. For me it's more emotional actually.
0: It's more emotional. It's more emotional, right? So for the outside world they couldn't care less, right? Yeah. But oh, for, for sure. me, I think for like for people kind of creating something that they feel is creative, it's part of their identity. And that in some ways is being chipped away at maybe, and it's maybe not negative, right? Like maybe it helps us expand to your to your point. It helps us spend more time on things that actually are a true creative thing. But it feels like as AI advances, like more and more of that will be chipped away. And like maybe slowly, maybe quickly. And like at what point do we not feel okay about it?
1: I, I think it is maybe chipping away or... But... <laughs> No, I don't really know. I do think that ultimately that kind of executive function of deciding is, is really the more important thing. So like you come to this project, you have an idea about what it is and what you want to convey. And you're already putting that in, uh, you're already putting that into the AI, right? You're saying like, I want like a, like a camp camp kind of feel to it. And then it spits out a bunch of options and like, you have to make a decision about which one is going to convey the sentiment that you're trying to to, to convey. But like the idea that you, the underlying idea, the underlying sentiment that you have is like, you know, you came up with that. I mean, it, it's like, to me, when you were talking about it, it kind of feels like hire, hiring a marketing firm or something. You hire a marketing firm, they present you with different kinds of options and you choose a thing that that expresses whatever it is that you want to express. And i feel like that's that's like a normal part of of doing business um, or you know writing things i it's funny you bring up this example because i actually had um almost precisely the opposite experience recently um i'm uh co-authoring a book uh with a few friends um and like we we wrote the book like we have oh thank you thank you we have we have a like a publisher it's like all lined up but like we like really couldn't figure out a, a title like we were really kind of struggling with with the title so i was like all right i'll, I'll see what chat GPT has to say and like chat gbt came up with a bunch of choices and like i didn't like a single one of them i was like no these are these are all like they're they're missing the point and maybe i needed to like dialogue a little bit more and, and help it refine things a little bit less um but i wasn't that into any of them and um we actually still have not totally settled on the, on the, the title i think we're getting closer but Well, the process we ended up pursuing was a dialogue with the publisher, right? And this is normal in a lot of book publishing. You know, sometimes the publishers will just be like, no, we're going to give it a title. Or sometimes it's kind of like a negotiation between the author and the marketing department to find something that everyone can agree on. And so in that case, like, you know, the publisher was like, well, here's some options that we've been kind of kicking around. Like, what do you think of that? And so you know at the end of the day like again i don't i don't take like a strong ethical standpoint on like whether it's like the marketing department of of the a uh, publisher versus like chatgpt like at the end of the day a human being has to decide on that title and it reflects something else So in my case it reflects this book that you know my my co-authors and i put a lot of thought into um in your case you know the the project that that you want to do um with forge sf so you know i don't know
0: maybe it's just a personal thing like for you, the title does not feel like that important. I mean, I'm reflecting on what you seem to be saying. The, the yep. title does not feel like the most important part of the book to you, right? right? You're like, okay, like I wrote the book; that was the important part. We need to come up with a title that sells, and that's what a publisher can help us out with, probably. So, like, I'm happy. Like, you're happy people read the book. It yep. doesn't really matter what it's called. Where, whereas I think for me, the name and branding of a thing actually does feel emotionally important to me like if i Mm -hmm. was to hire a Mm -hmm. marketing firm i would in no way say that i came up with that name or (laughs) logo right so i'd be like oh the great logo i'd be like oh yeah i came up with that like i would not do that like someone else designed something they designed it Uh, yeah (laughs) totally yeah it's more that's the thing it's not for me it's not like legal at all yeah it's more moral man it's very emotional you know yeah yeah i mean i think part of it is like we're just getting used. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the idea of getting feedback from a machine i mean again when it comes to writing a book like you have a copy editor right so you write the whole book manuscript you send it in and then someone from the publisher goes through and they do you know intense line edits to make to to smooth out bad writing basically so that like i, I honestly don't even know what the rules are for where you put
0: commas uh-huh <laughs> but like <laughs> well that's what know. gpt does for me now <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, like, man, it, I feel for copy editors right now.
1: No, so, I mean, they are clearly, their jobs are, are are clearly on the line. So that kind of thing, like, you know, does a comma go in the sentence or not? And a copy editor can tell me the answer. And now, you know, AI is going to be able to tell me the answer. Like, I don't have any emotional attachment to that kind of thing. That's really just about allowing me to convey a thing that, that I want to convey and that I have put a lot of work into.
0: Um, more clearly.
1: Yeah, and and it does it does still kind of feel a little bit like cheating, you know, like the example I just gave of uh, of doing this lecture in in Chinese, and like I know I gave a talk that sounded more eloquent than I would have been able to do otherwise, but like I was still speaking words about research that I had done, and I of course I understood all of the words that I was saying. I wasn't like uh, pretending to know words that I didn't. It just managed to put them together for me in a way that was. That was more elegant. And I ultimately had to still make executive decisions about which words I was going to include and which ones that um that the machine had spat out like that I didn't want to use. And so mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel I feel kind of okay about all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like no president has written their own speech in a hundred
1: yeah. years. Yeah, that's right. right? Exactly. You know? like, it's
0: just like right. and it's like Obama says something, we're like, oh, that's what Obama's saying. That's his speech, because he reads it over. <laughs> right. I'm I'm mentioning Obama because that because it's just the, the, the happy the happy days of presidency. <laughs> like, he gave good speeches. I, mean, I miss that man. No, just generally, yeah. you know, like yeah, just, yeah. just the salad days of America. Um, But yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, but he has read them over and he's decided, yes, these are my words. And he's working with someone who tries to write right. in his voice, you know, and now it's just a machine doing it for us. Yeah, maybe not to belabor this point, but if Obama thought that his kind of specific skill actually was writing speeches and then he stopped writing them, you know, how would he feel about that? Yeah. You know, so I think that's the line. It's like, it's actually not, it's not the thing being done. It's how you feel about that kind of work. If you feel like it's the kind of work that you are best at, like, for example, the person at the publishing house whose job it is to name books, right? Right. Like that's someone's job in the marketing department. There is some person Who's like, okay, something needs to be named, go to Suzanne, because Suzanne always has the best names. Yeah. And this is like a big part of her identity that she's naming the books and and she feels really satisfied because she because she helps authors like you get their work out to people. Because if the name is bad, people aren't gonna read the book. So this is like a really core part of her being. Mm-hmm. And then if they just get like 20 from GPT and they just choose one, like, how does she feel?
1: Yeah, yeah, probably not very good, right? Probably not very good, right? She's
0: put her whole humanity into into that skill. As have I, kind of, with this name thing, you know? Like, in some way, like, it's not, I mean, I hope it's not the only thing I'm good at, but I have thought that it's something I'm good at, you know, because I think it's, because I think it's really about, it's about thinking about the people who are going to interact with this thing and, like, being empathetic to them and kind of, like, trying to think through, and not even even in, like, a salesy way, but really in a, like, hey, I really want people to be able to be welcome into this thing I'm creating. I want them to feel welcome. Yeah. And how can I make them feel welcome? And the way I present it to people really is a big part of that. And I think actually I'm pretty good at it. Like, I think I've done a pretty good job. People do are kind of drawn towards these things I create. And I think part of that is because of the presentation of it. Yeah, um, It's a hard moment in some ways. It is, but, and not to
1: get too academic about this, uh, if you step back a little bit from the specifics of what this moment looks like, it's actually a very old problem, right? The the idea that introduction of new technology leads to a de-skilling of work and also therefore maybe like a loss of humanity in some ways because we pour so much of who we are into our work. That's like a very old problem, right? And, and there's a lot of things that we don't even think about now, like the manufacturing of shoes. We're just kind of like, yeah, well, whatever it happens, it's it's a pretty automated, very routinized and, and kind of rationalized process where you're on these massive assembly lines. But like in the 19th century, surely there were cobblers, you know, people who were like had this very refined craft of producing handmade shoes. And they like, you know, knew the person who had made the leather and who had made the twine and like all the stuff that goes into making shoes. Um, and I'm sure that as the process of like shoe production was automated across the 19th and, and 20th century, like a lot of people felt a real sense of loss about that. So I'm not saying this to like minimize it. Like that is a real loss. If your job is being this kind of this craftsman, right. And, mm-hmm. and uh, having this very specific skill that is Kind of obliterated by a process of of automation or whatever kind of technological development. Like you do ex- experience that as a real loss. So I think that's mm-hmm. the, the the potential downside, the potential upside. Um, and this is an upside that oftentimes is not realized because of how we structure our society and for all sorts of reasons. But the potential upside anyway is that it frees us up to do other kinds of things. Right. So instead of having whatever percentage of the population making shoes, they can go to other things like develop software or airplanes or, or, or whatever it is. And this is this is like a, a, a different kind of a moment, um, I think because it has an impact on all of these kind of non-material jobs that you know, college graduates in America do. But in a sense it's also kind of an old problem.
0: Yeah, no, that's super insightful. Yeah, it's totally true. I think overall, I'm a real advocate for this stuff because already, like I was saying, I I rely on it in these ways that do help me to expand my creativity. Or it feels like it feels like a creative partner that's helping push me forward. And I also just do think it's it's an interesting moment to be drawing those lines. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, like cobblers, they definitely felt like that was a creative work. They were making yes for sure right like th- for like sure they made their shoes the way they made them and everyone knew that barnaby joe Johansson, <laughs> the cobbler down on prince street would make them exactly this way and you always went to right. him because he made your shoes the right way and then it becomes mechanized and that creativity goes away what are we what are we left with like, and of course at every technological jump Everyone always says, oh, but this time's different. You know, like automobile was created and people said, oh, this time's different. Nothing will be, ever be the same. And it wasn't in some ways. In some ways it was. And I'm sure that people will look at this jump in, in the future in the same way. Like, oh, this was just another one of these jumps. Yeah. But it's like when it when it, when it gets into our minds, I think is the difference maybe. It does. That, you that, know. Like no, it is. It our, is different in that it's way. In our, yeah, it's in our heads. Like, it, yeah. once it thinks like us. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, and, and I think that that
1: is a qualitative difference. So, like, at one level of abstraction, this kind of thing has happened in history, and like, people have lost their jobs because they've because of technological development. All of that is true. People have had a sense of loss about you know automation of of production and de-skilling of work. Um, but yeah, when it get, when it gets to the question of of creativity, which I and cognition or ideas, right, like. That does feel a little bit kind of scarier and closer to the kind of defining thing of humanity.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think it's reasonable to feel a little bit like unsettled by all that.
0: Yeah. It's like technology used to displace physical actions, right? Like it seemed like for a long time, that's what it was displacing. It was displacing people making things with their hands. Right. And now it's like finding its way into our brains and displacing the things we do with our brains, you know, a a kind of bright, a brighter story. This conversation got a teeny bit negative and that (laughs) somehow, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of presenting a, like, I'm scared of AI position, but I'm actually not. I'm actually like super excited about it. (laughs) I'm excited to see what happens, but a kind of brighter thought I have sometimes. And I feel like someone should write a story about this. He's like, okay, so AI takes over in all the ways we're terrified of, you know, displaces every like marketing firm and every creative writer and everything, like everything in business basically is done with AI better than someone can do it. There's a couple of people who are kind of managing those processes. Most people don't have jobs anymore and can't make a lot of money from their creative work, but it creates such abundance that we have some kind of universal basic income that, supports people to a level that they can survive and maybe flourish and then we're just left to create on our own all the time right like I can buy a chair from Ikea that's perfectly made but I might spend a lot more on a chair that a human makes that's imperfect like I wonder if I wonder if as more things become easier for AI to do like the value of a human creating it for that sake will become more valuable. Yeah. I wonder if craft produced goods will become like really, really sought after Mm -hmm. and maybe it will produce this whole class of just craftsmen that are making things that like are imperfect by design. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's something really beautiful about that, because honestly, like and I do not want to get down on on people who write Instagram captions because there is a lot of creativity there and it is really important. It's an important job, you know, to get the word out to people. But yeah. like no one like dreams of doing that, right? Like right. They, like they dream of writing their creative work and then this is this is the way they can make money while they also do some other work they want to do. Like this is this is the way they can be creative because this is what the market has presented them for their skill set. Yeah. But like, what if they really could just write their own writing and share it with maybe not a million people, but maybe 30 people that love their work? Right. Like, what if, what if the like, what if the profit motive was divorced from your creative work? Like, what if you could just create? Cause that's the thing now. It's like any idea you have, any kind of creative idea you have, it's like immediately a business. Right. right. Like, it has to be. It has to, to be. Cause you have yeah. to support yourself doing it. And it's like, especially in the Bay Area. Is very expensive to live here. So like you yeah. have to make everything a business. And I've always done that. Like I have some idea and I'm like, okay, this is a business in this way. You know, I want to cook. It's underground dinners. I want to be in the woods picking mushrooms. You know, it's like a business. Right. But like, what if they could just be creative outputs for their own sake? Yeah. Like what a beautiful moment to be at. Yeah. I mean. It'd be a beautiful future.
1: That That's the dream. You know, yeah. I'm not super optimistic given the alignment of political power in the United States at oh, the moment
0: that like capitalism generally <laughs> Yeah yeah <laughs>
1: no. yeah globally right I feel like the chances that like the common person captures the gains of, of AI like it doesn't feel super likely to me right now. It seems mm. more likely that that it will be used to increase productivity. It might lead to lots of unemployment that, you know, that and people who are not taken care of. But I think given Given the right kind of political alignment and ensuring that people do have the ability to survive, um, irrespective of um, their their contributions or their at least short term contributions to to like economic productivity, like yeah, that's 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 the dream That's that's utopia, right? That we can do things because they're meaningful to each other and not to some corporation. Yeah, yeah, they will I get like there.
0: that idea a lot. I mean, that was why, and I talked to you a little bit about this, but that's why I want to do an episode where I interview someone in a socialist country like yeah like a country where if you lose your job you don't become homeless and die mm-hmm. which is basically the deal here it's like yeah. you you work or like you're on the street right? like die. there's yeah. like no health care no there's nothing you're just like you're just done they just throw you out it's so sad you work your whole life the night, They throw you on the street i mean in oakland it's yeah it's so sad how like we where we're at. So much of the conversation around the advancement of AI is really fear based here because people are scared of losing their jobs because there's no security. But what if you lived in a place where that wasn't a fear? You could lose your job. You knew kind of you'd be taken care of until you got some other job. Like there is not that fear. I wonder how I wonder how they think about it. You know, that's different than than we do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that country exists anymore. But
0: no, what about, no, what about like Sweden? Are they, are they that far down that line? It was like, um, I mean, Denmark. definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: E- even, even the Scandinavian countries, the welfare state has definitely become less generous, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, as compared to like what it was like in the eighties, but it is, is definitely, you're not faced with the same kind of immediate like crisis of subsistence uh-huh.
0: that you yeah. might face in the United States. not so or, stark, you know, it's not like one day to the next.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're being evicted. And 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 especially, I mean, I do think the healthcare care is, is a big issue for sure. This is kind of a wild projection into the future, and we obviously don't know how things will develop. But I do think that there is a kind of job, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a straightforward job, like, you know, doing labor for money, but like things that people need that cannot be replaced, um, at least in the short term, by AI, which is like human-to-human connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the things that we do that require that direct human-to-human connection, right, be it therapy, be it things like going to a restaurant or things that, that, that you do in your business, you know, taking people out into the woods and like showing them around and you know, the food that's growing in your, in your local area you know those are all things that people are going to s- still want to do and i'm not a big believer in 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 pointing to fundamental features of human nature but i do especially after the pandemic really think that seeing other people interacting with other people is is a pretty pretty fundamental part of of who we are as a species
0: yeah and maybe as ai does more of the stuff that we did on computers all day it will free us up to have more person-to-person interaction yeah hopefully you know hopefully the darker side of that well i'll go dark <laughs> again the back I'll the go dark way. again is like and this is something i've been thinking a lot about too like that it's almost since ai has become you know accessible in the way it is now that there's almost like a third kind of relationship like there used to be either you were alone hey. you're by yourself there are no people around or you're interacting with a person. So maybe even you're on the phone, you're texting with a person, or you're in person with another human. Mm -hmm. But now there's like this third kind of being, almost, that Mm -hmm. you're alone interacting with ChatGPT, and it actually doesn't feel like you're alone. Even Even if you don't think the thing is conscious, and you're like, yeah, this is just like a fancy autocomplete, that like, you're by yourself talking to something that feels alive, that yeah. really can like give you feedback on things and brainstorm with you. And as that becomes better and better and easier and easier, will we be less motivated to push through our whatever challenges we have before we are interacting with a person because we have this thing that actually can can help us in a lot of ways and is non-challenging to us in any way like you know it's hard to be on the world it's like it takes 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 some push to be out there and like interacting with people and it's some work right as we have this third way of being that's not work but increasingly gives us the same things like i don't think it i don't think it replaces human human interaction at all but i think it it can do some of the things like i was thinking mm-hmm. before when you were talking about using it as like a pure in the class where a big part of it is peer review so uh, between students so one thing that's important about that is the paper gets better right but like another thing that's important about it is students are learning how to take feedback from another human and give feedback to another Mm-mm. human and having a relationship with them and have a conversation and like and that's what is a big part of what college is right it's like learning how to be a person kind of right and if we replace too much of that, like if I'm brainstorming something with GPT, even if it's giving me really good answers, I'm not brainstorming with another human. And through that brainstorming with another human, I'm developing not only an idea, but a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. So how much of that does it replace?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think certainly in some marginal cases, you could see people just kind of increasingly opting to to interact with ai rather than, than other people for sure no social anxiety is is a, is a real thing it's real uh, and a, yeah oh, fucking most people have it <laughs> most mo- most people have like if you, got it. if you don't have any social anxiety you're a bit of a weirdo i think that most people most of the time will still will still want to see people or even if they don't actively want to will end up doing it because it does fulfill some sort of a need um but yeah i think probably in lots of cases people will be like well yeah, like, like the example of of getting feedback on a paper, like I could, you know, I could write to my friend, I could impose upon them and be like, hey, will you read this thing and give me some feedback, but I can get, the feedback that I can get from AI will be like 90% as good. So I'll just do that and like not, not hassle my friend. Like, yeah, I could totally see that. So yeah. maybe some sort of marginal decrease in like actual human to human interaction.
0: Yeah. And it seems like over time, too, as it's more normalized that like where you get feedback is from AI, that asking for it actually will be, feel like more of an imposition, right? So like, yeah, if, for sure. If I'm gonna meet someone, some if I was gonna meet you somewhere, I wouldn't ask you directions. If I asked you directions, you'd be like, "Dude, Google it." Like, yeah, right, exactly. uh, like, why are you asking me for directions? You're wasting my time. You know? <laughs> I mean, you would say in a much nicer way than that. But i like, yeah, well, say that. Yeah, maybe not. But yeah. I wonder if the kind of social conventions will normalize around that. um, feedback from a human is really nice it is nice
1: sometimes one of my one of my friends slash colleagues like ask me to read something and initially i'm like oh it's a bit of an imposition like i have to spend a couple hours depending on how long it is like you know reading this thing and putting some thought into it uh, and it's like distracting me from doing something else but when you do it it's kind of like oh like that was actually nice like i improved the thing and they are grateful for it and it helps build some kind of social connection or community um it's an important thing for sure. So yeah, it would be a shame if, if that didn't happen anymore. I think it is really dependent on on how good the technology is. And I'm still, not that I have any idea how any of this stuff works, but I just feel like at least in my line of work, the, the knowledge is like so like arcane and specialized that I'm still a little bit doubtful that it's going to be able to provide really good advice that at least for, you know publication in one of these like professional journals no but it's definitely not there yet oh it's just so
0: it's so exciting yeah. it feels like the moment the internet was invented to me it feels like the world was one way and now it is a totally different way
1: i i feel like it's a little bit more intense than the internet because
0: like when the internet started
1: it was like a little yeah. rinky dink you know totally, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay <laughs> aol like i can go out and like chat with my friend who lives down the block
0: yeah um yeah it's like if the internet of now just burst onto the scene in like, like 1992, all it too just like, like, suddenly you had instagram on on your home phone aol <laughs> yeah, somehow yeah. yeah. it just feels like this thing just burst onto the scene and suddenly the world is totally different yeah it's yeah. really it's amazing it's really amazing yeah Cool, man. Well, we're getting up on an hour and a half, which is as long as I try to subject people who listen to the podcast to. <laughs> originally, <laughs> originally, it was, was I was like, oh yeah, one's going to be 45 minutes, but I found that actually like an hour and 20 minutes is like a nice conversation. I think it's a nice length. And you know, this is my creative work and ChatGPT will not tell me how long it should be.
1: That's right. You are an independent person.
0: <laughs> That's how, I am an independent human being. Okay, so these questions are around kind of actually how students will use these tools in your classroom. Is it cheating for a student to use GPT to craft an outline? No. What about a rough draft that GPT creates that they then edit?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think it depends how much editing there is. Definitely need to see some of their own original input uh, rather than just editing around, around the margins. Mm.
0: What about having it edit a paper that they've written and then turning that copy in?
1: Yeah, I think editing, editing for language, grammar, that that seems good to me.
0: And for that question too, it's that like, it's that spectrum, right? Yeah. Because it can give you like 60% edit, 30% edit, 20% edit. It's a hard.
1: Yeah. And uh, the truth of the matter is I won't know what they've done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Except I think that you will know if you know the person it almost increases the need for the professor to really focus on the on the student and the writing
1: that is my hope that is my hope that we can actually get to know our students more and so we can understand who they are but you know there is also a university to run and and i don't know we don't have unlimited manpower
0: how about how about using it to develop a thesis in principle, yes. What I've seen
1: from it so far, I don't think you could actually develop a very provocative thesis.
0: Do you feel challenged professionally by AI? Like, does it make you nervous or excited? I don't feel nervous that it's going to
1: take my job. Like, I feel very confident aside from having tenure. It definitely uh, is not at the point where it's challenging You know, people who are doing A cutting edge research i think that there's some like excitement to it i don't feel like i know enough about it to really understand how it will transform the way i do research but i think that there's a lot of potential
0: Mm -hmm. that's a really nice way to think about it yeah because i think it is really exciting finish these sentences i love ice cream i wish i had (laughs) that's a good answer yeah food was another popular one (laughs) yeah um i wish i had more time I wish I hadn't.
1: Oh, I wish I hadn't. That's a good one. I'm pretty happy with my life. But I wish I hadn't agreed to review
0: the book that I'm currently reviewing. (laughs) I'm not not enjoying. Um, This is a question I've been asking everyone because it's a subject that everyone thinks about, but no one ever talks about. And especially because the kinds of people I'm generally interviewing... Our people are doing some kind of like weird thing on the margins, and no, so no one has any idea about about how things work for them. But you are welcome, totally, to answer it or not answer it. Okay. Mm-hmm. How much money did you make last year?
1: One hundred and well, my salary was one hundred and sixty thousand dollars
0: cool, man. Thanks for answering. Mm -hmm. So Eli, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You know, we've known each other a really long time and I really do think, and I'm not sure I've ever said this to you, but I really do feel like throughout my life when there's been something that I've been learning about or interested in and kind of want some feedback on or like want someone to discuss it with, that you've always been someone that I've gone to first. You know, like I think that you you're a really smart guy who really helps develop ideas and so it was exciting that you want to be on the podcast so thanks
1: oh, for, thanks for being thanks, here. man uh, yeah i really appreciate that and you know i i feel the same way like i oftentimes get kind of siloed in the academy it's, it's a kind of a world unto itself and have always really appreciated um, getting to to break out of that and talk to you and and hear from someone that like doesn't have the same kind of blinkers that, you know, the, the people do that I surround myself with most of the time. I'm um, no knock on them. They're cool too. But...
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks so much. And let's talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. Hey, there it is. Thanks for listening to another episode of how we work. I really liked that conversation. I learned a ton from it and I hope you did too. Thanks again. As always, I'm grateful that you're listening. And if this is something that you think other people need to know about, please share it around and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much.